With soaring public debt since the COVID pandemic and much higher debt servicing costs after aggressive rate hikes around the world, emerging markets remain a risky proposition. Some countries like Zambia, Ghana and Sri Lanka have already defaulted. The IMF has revised down its forecasts for EM economies in recent months and the global impact of the recent banking crisis in the US and Europe is not yet known. Yet ING's sovereign debt strategist James Wilson sees value in the developing world, which should see stronger economic growth this year than developed markets. EM growth is set to grow rather steadily and therefore remain a kind of positive um, premium above developed market growth. This kind of uh, backdrop is fairly supportive for emerging market assets. I'm Rebecca Byrne and this is ING's Think Aloud. James, in your recent notes, you seemed pretty upbeat about emerging markets this year, despite the IMF's slight downward revision to its growth estimates. Tell us why you think the developing world in general will remain resilient. Yeah, I think for some context on that point, um, it's worth mentioning that global growth is set to slow down to 2.8% in 2023. That's lower than 2022 and comparable to 2019. So not an overly optimistic outlook. This is kind of one of the weakest growth years other than 2009 and 2020 in the past two decades. Similarly, emerging market growth is also set to slow down to 3.9% but this is likely to be much more resilient than the outlook for developed markets. Um, There a much slower growth slowdown will be seen in Europe and the UK, whilst EM growth is set to grow rather steadily and therefore remain a kind of positive um, premium above developed market growth. This kind of uh, backdrop is fairly supportive for emerging market assets in comparison to developed market assets and could drive some capital inflows to emerging markets. Uh, in particular to fixed income, given the fairly kind of steady growth outlook. In particular, uh, we've seen some positive momentum for China most recently, with an upside surprise to GDP growth for the first quarter, um, and also fairly positive forecasts for the rest of Asia, such as Indonesia and the Philippines. Along with this backdrop, fairly solid fundamentals for the traditional emerging markets. So that's the likes of Indonesia, Mexico, Brazil and South Africa, uh, leave them much more resilient to the current kind of slower growth environment um, and also Fed rate hike cycle. So we're broadly in a kind of better position than at many points in the past kind of few decades. Mm. Of course, there are risks. You mentioned some there. We've had a very aggressive hiking campaign by the Fed, recent worries about financial instability, ongoing geopolitical concerns. Are these worries largely reflected in um, the market now? Or is there a danger that we could still see big outflows again, like we did through most of last year? Certainly, I think risks remain. Um, We saw actually a fairly optimistic start to the year by many prognoses, and including some inflows into emerging market debt funds to start the year in January and early February. Um, Some of that was really tempered in recent months and weeks amongst the uh, banking system instability in developed markets. Um, And these kind of global concerns are likely to hit emerging markets despite their kind of origins outside of these EM economies. For example, um, significant strains in the global backdrop would spill over to emerging markets through the channel of capital outflows, strengthen the US dollar, and in fact the IMF saw a 15% probability of their downside scenario to growth for this year, which would include some significant global financial tightening um, and would see global growth drop to 1% in 2023. 
within that, uh, emerging markets would actually be hit the hardest, despite the fact that this kind of crisis could be triggered in developed markets. And more broadly, I think in the backdrop, we are still far away from the kind of pre-COVID environment, which saw uh, lower rates, quantitative easing. And therefore, I think emerging markets need to get really used to this backdrop along with the extra geopolitical concerns, as mentioned, which could include more trade tensions with the US and China, and also a real switch to capital flows away from some of the more traditional emerging markets, and more towards kind of friendshoring, so geopolitically friendly countries, uh, which could actually be a benefit for some emerging markets, thinking about, for example, some in Latin America that are close to the US, and some in Asia as well that are more traditional geopolitical allies certainly could lead to a kind of um, shift in the backdrop for capital flows. Mm. The IMF spring meetings um, focused a lot on the high level of public debt in emerging markets. We've already seen some countries uh, default in the past few years and debt servicing costs have obviously increased a lot. Are you concerned about further debt crises in lower income countries? Certainly, I think that's another risk. It feels like we're in much of a kind of split world for emerging markets, as we often have to remind. Um, There's a kind of wide range of EM economies within this subset of countries. I mean, in particular, the kind of weaker so-called frontier nations that are lower rated um, really kind of lack the market access in contrast to these stronger, often investment grade emerging market countries. So we have seen the start of the year with a record first quarter for EM issuance that's hard currency bonds in international markets. But this was mostly driven by investment grade countries and many within the single B rated tier, that's one of the lower rated tiers, uh, still lack market access. On the back of this, there's further risk for defaults or at least further stresses in the debt market for those that require to refinance in the coming years. As a positive, certainly in 2023, these refinancing risks from upcoming maturities are fairly low. Um, but this will pick up in 2024 and 25. Uh, so there is still time for many of these weaker nations, but the pressure is likely to build towards the end of this year and into next year. And um, for example, in the headlines up in the likes of Pakistan, Tunisia and Egypt in recent months. So many of these will look to regain access to the market at some point in the coming uh, months and hopefully years at least. Do you think we're going to see significant debt forgiveness? There was a report recently by Boston University that said $520 billion of debt will need to be written off to avoid cascading defaults. I think it's worth mentioning that uh, the kind of progress for nations that have already entered default and looking to restructure has been painfully slow in most cases. We have the likes of Zambia and Sri Lanka still in the process, uh, as multi-year process of restructuring. Um, and therefore, more has to be done, I think, by both multilateral and bilateral lenders to try and improve this process. Um, that's what much of the discussion was about at the recent IMF meetings, including a newly formed sovereign debt roundtable, um, to really kickstart this process. Although so far, the kind of results appear to be more kind of broad commitments and statements rather concrete action. The broader issue is that uh, there's a much wider range of creditors for many emerging markets in this age in comparison to previous episodes of debt relief. So thinking about the issuance of Brady bonds in the 1980s after the Latin American debt crises uh, or the highly indebted poor countries debt relief in the late 90s, much of this was led by the Paris Club of developed market countries and bilateral lenders. These days we have a wide range of creditors, including bondholders, banks, bilateral lenders and trade finance, so it's very difficult to coordinate. Therefore I think it's a bit overly optimistic to expect some kind of coordinated action for debt relief. But certainly more initiatives are likely, 
Uh, we've seen debt suspension initiative during the COVID era, which helped out some, but not all emerging market countries. We've seen the G20 propose a common framework, which is meant to unite creditors, but so far has been fairly unsuccessful. So I think it still remains a kind of case by case basis for most emerging market countries. But that's not for lack of trying so far by multilaterals. China has emerged as, as a major creditor in recent years. Does this complicate talks on restructuring? Certainly from the perspective of bondholders and investors, that has been a concern raised uh, in recent years, in particular for the issue of both Zambia and Sri Lanka. Um, and therefore that has complicated the G20 Common Framework talks. Um, of course, an issue being not only just China versus the Paris Club lenders, but also a range of creditors within China, um, including different forms of lending, whether it be for projects, the Belt and Road initiatives, or more direct government-to-government lending. So certainly that really complicates the process overall, but has seen to be some more kind of positive words from both the uh, Western countries and China about trying to coordinate these efforts and therefore securing these financing guarantees and assurances for the weaker emerging market countries. Within the emerging markets, some countries are big commodity importers, some are big exporters, so they're obviously very sensitive to prices. And we saw this last year after the invasion of Ukraine, but price pressures have eased since then. So what impact is this going to have? Yeah, so as previously mentioned, it's hard to really combine all emerging markets together. Um, and one of the main split is between these exporters and importers. And that's clearest indeed in terms of energy prices, so oil and gas exporters and importers. And we saw that impact hit both the markets and also growth last year for EMs. For example, the Gulf oil exporters and the GCC benefited a lot from higher oil prices last year. And in contrast, Central and Eastern European economies, which are large oil and gas importers from Russia, for example, were hit hard, both in terms of inflation, growth and their external accounts. On the back of that, though, there should be some positives on the flip side this year, as we have seen an easing in energy prices, um, which should benefit, actually, these economies in Central and Eastern Europe. Oil prices are really forecast to remain somewhat elevated versus in recent years. This should still not be not too negative for the GCC Gulf countries. The other issue, certainly for poorer nations, has been agriculture imports. And so food imports have been an issue, certainly, for many poorer nations, uh, both in terms of actual physical supplies um, and also the costs for external accounts. So I think a real easing of these commodity price pressures should generally be positive for emerging markets, um, as many of these stronger nations within the Gulf are kind of well posed to kind of withstand and easing those price pressures. Where are the relative safe havens within um, EM credit markets? You talk in your note about areas of selective value. Which areas are you talking about specifically? So certainly some of the regions mentioned I think are interesting to note um, within the Gulf, as I just mentioned. Uh, many of these oil exporters have benefited from elevated prices in recent years. But more so, we've also seen some actual reform momentum in certain countries, such as Oman and Saudi Arabia, to try and reduce their dependence on oil and gas. And that has really been reflected both in market performance, um, but also in credit rating upgrades for the sovereigns. Uh, So I do expect them to remain relative safe havens within the EM space and really trade differently to much of the rest of the market. Elsewhere, as mentioned on the growth picture of Indonesia and Philippines and Asia, are um, set to maintain fairly positive growth momentum and also have seen some improvement in their fundamentals, in particular in Indonesia with an improving current account. 
Um, and elsewhere, whilst talking about selective value, it's also worth mentioning the Central and Eastern Europe region. As I mentioned before, they were hit hard last year um, and should actually benefit from some easing in the energy price pressures this year. So whilst they probably not want to be seen as a safe haven, there could be more value there given they have kind of sold off more aggressively last year and should benefit more from the kind of easing in the global backdrop. Although, of course, an issue of geopolitical tensions is one likely to keep um, elevated pressure on those economies um, and also on their assets. James Wilson, thank you very much. Thank you. This podcast has been prepared by ING solely for information purposes, irrespective of a particular user's means, financial situation or investment objective. The information does not constitute investment recommendation nor is it investment, legal or tax advice or an offer of solicitation to purchase or sell any financial instrument. Read more at think.ing.com slash content dash disclaimer.